Welcome to On the Sofa with Victoria, where authors and industry insiders discuss everything from serial killers to series fiction. I'm Victoria Selman, author of the Zeba McKenzie series, and truly darkly deeply, a novel which examines a serial killer's legacy through the eyes of his daughter. Each fortnight, I'll be unpicking the latest trends and themes in crime fiction with a panel of household names and rising stars. Today, I'm joined on the sofa by Kaz Freer and William Shaw to discuss one of the most popular subgenres in crime fiction, police procedurals. Welcome, guys. Thanks for joining me today. Hello. Hi. Hello, <laughs> hello, hello. Kaz, you stormed onto the literary stage with your fabulous debut, Sweet Little Lies, um, which I have to say, I, I read during a holiday in Tenerife, and I don't think I spoke to my family one little bit when, <laughs> when I was engrossed in that book. Thank Absolutely you. brilliant. Um, and you're now, what, three novels in, aren't you, into the uh, yep. DC Cat Kinsella series. Have you, yep. um, how's that sort of changed over time as you've been writing it, sort of getting into the... Uh, you think it'd get easier, wouldn't you? As yeah. you know, as you know the characters so well. But I think I'll be forever saying, "No, this is the hardest book I'm writing." Although I'm writing a standalone now. Actually. Oh, are you? Yeah, yeah. Is that like as a bit of a palate cleanse you're doing that, or is it as new? Yeah, you? yeah, it has, and it was interesting actually because I don't think I, I don't really think I'm spoiling anything by saying the end of the last novel, Shed No Tears. Yeah. It sort of um, leaves that on a, not a cliffhanger, but Kat deciding whether to, she's going to go off and do something else for a year. Okay. And then the pandemic happened. So oh. actually, for my fourth Kat Kinsella, it's a bit like, oh, great. I don't have to mention the pandemic. How perfectly that. planned. This is almost a bit conspiracy theory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what yeah. did you know that we didn't? <laughs> yeah, because all three novels, I've been, um, I've always very much set them in the year. And I've yes. mentioned the year yes. a lot. So, I mean, not that I don't sort of get particularly political in any of them. But, you mm. know, there was a bit of a reference to Brexit and blah, blah, yes. blah. So it would just have been really weird if I then yeah. just kind of had the yes. fourth novel and didn't mention the pandemic at all. It's almost um, just perfect, isn't it? And now you can either go back to it or not. You can just, yeah. yeah so I'm kind of giving her a bit of a, it's not a career break. I won't go into it, but she was having a bit yeah. of a, as going on a bit of a curveball. Yeah. So it's perfect. I can oh, just brilliant. Oh, and is your standalone, is that sort of police procedurally as well? That should be an adjective, is it isn't, by the way, <laughs> Oxford English Dictionary, please. No, no, it's much more of a, um, uh, yeah, it's a, a kind of a classic. Uh, we don't know what we're pitching it as at the moment, I guess, yeah. sort of domestic suspense. But yeah. police officer has wormed his way in as right. a character. Right. Um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the plan from the start, but okay. um, yeah. And taking so, a central kind of um, stage in the book or just as a kind of a, a side of um, the police character? He's a lesser character, but he's yeah. crucial to, right. to what happens. Definitely. So that's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, we'll talk about definitions um, a bit later in the show. But, I mean, I guess it brings to, to, to mind well, what is a police procedural then? If you have police characters playing an important role in your book... Is that a police procedural? Is it shadows of a police procedural? <laughs> well, what makes, I wonder, a, a, a procedural in that sense? Yeah. Either of you. <laughs> oh, okay. William, do you want to, I've been rabbiting on for a minute. 
Don't you hate the word police procedural? Yes. Isn't it the most horrible label for a yeah. type of book yeah. in the world? Mm, I think I'll go out and buy a police procedural. I can't say anybody's saying that. It's just the worst thing we've it's managed to It's the word procedural, isn't it? it? The process that makes you think of ticking boxes and filling in yeah. forms. Yeah. I mean, you know, a PI novel sounds great, doesn't it? You know, or yeah. anything like that. But police procedural just sounds such a mucky definition. I mean, I think, you know, it's it's a system of the, symptom of the sort of desperation of British marketing, isn't it? That everybody has to be put in a neat little box like that yes. because I think oh, actually gosh. lots of um, lots of police procedurals stray into other areas and lots of other areas stray into police procedurals don't absolutely. they absolutely so okay let's pick you up on that William you've opened yourself up to it what should we be calling them <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> ah. uh, you. What I'm thinking. Um, you know we should you know like uh, they're crime fiction they're crime fiction they're with crime. some coppers yeah with, nice. with coppers Cop fiction. Yeah, cop fiction. Cop fiction would be good, wouldn't it? That would be quite good, actually. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, even in the States, I think mine was just get referred to as cop series. And I just think, oh, it just sounds a bit more... Sexy. Sexy, yeah. Yeah. Because you think of the dramas as well, don't you? I mean, nobody talks about TV shows as, as, as police procedural shows. They'll talk about them as cop dramas, won't they? Or Yeah. Yeah. And also the procedure is the stuff we try and skirt over because it's quite yeah. dull a lot of the time, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's not really we want to do 15 hours of court reports and um, and all those sort of bits of the stuff that all the poor civilians have to fill in and all the form filling. That's the yeah. procedural bit in real life. And actually, yes. we don't want to go there. Neither no. do the readers. And that's actually funny enough when you talk to police about, about them. That's exactly what they say, isn't it? You know, <laughs> you're showing the real life, but you're also missing out a lot of it because what we do most of the time is fill in forms. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about some of your books, um, William. So you've actually, you're the author of two different cop uh, cop series. There you go. Let's introduce it now. Um, we've got the uh, Breen and Toza. Is that how I pronounce it? Toza. Absolutely. Uh, set in 60s London, which is which is fabulous. And um, more recently, you've introduced the DS Alex Cupidi series. Again, have I said that right? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I, I think so. I, what a mistake so. calling anybody Cupidi or Cupidi or Cupidi. I mean... I'd never thought of that when I chose a name. Do you ever come across, do you ever have that problem? You know, in your head, it was fine. But yes. the question I get asked at every event is, how do you pronounce her name? Okay, so let's ask you a different question. How did you come up with the name? Um, I came up with the name because I went through a phase of choosing people who friended me on Facebook. Um, oh, that's nice. As characters. Um, tried to friend me, and I didn't know who they were. Oh. And so there was this guy called Richard Cupidi, or uh -huh. Cupidi. Um, uh -huh. who, who friended me years ago and I was just in she started off as a minor character in a different book and I just thought oh, I'll have that I'll have Cupidy that sounds interesting I want to make I want people to notice that she exists so you sometimes yeah. choose a, a little nail a name slightly to the left don't you so the characters yeah. just think okay I'm going to remember that name so Isn't I chose that, that always the hardest part as well I find is coming up with names yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, but then it turned out years later, I was doing an event and I, and I said this exact same thing. And in the event, somebody says, oh, yeah, Richard Cupidy, I know him. Oh, and it turns out he was a bookseller <laughs> and rather a good bookseller as Ooh. well. So, And I'd not friended him on Facebook, so I quickly friended him on Facebook. Oh, how funny. But maybe that's what we need to do. We need to name our characters after journalists and so they'll write good reviews yeah. for us or something. Let's yeah. be yeah. tactical here. Foreshaw <laughs> enters the room. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's funny. So how has it been then sort of having two different series and what made you decide to, to bring in a new one? Was it again, like we were saying with Kaz, was it wanting something a bit fresher to sort of a bit of a palate cleanser or did you have something else you were looking to explore? 
I write, I like writing, I'd always intended to write standalones and a series. And so I had mm. this idea of a standalone that was set in contemporary Dungeness. And I wanted to write about Dungeness because I wanted it to be all natural history-ish, mm. you know, away from London, which was all very sort of urban. I thought I want to do the opposite and play with that. And actually, out of this came another character. She was a secondary character. And I kind of thought, oh, I actually quite fancy. People really didn't like her in the standalone. Oh, really? I thought that's a bit interesting. Yeah. Maybe I'll take that and I'll make her, you know, because I, I, I thought she was great. But, yeah. but you, all the characters saying, oh, that nasty, nasty woman. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I'll have that. And, and so it, I that thought. interesting that you want a character with the edge? I mean, no, we've talked, I've talked about this with um, Dom Nolan and Chris Whitaker the other day on, on one of the shows. And we were talking about this issue of likability that as writers, I hope you probably feel the same. It's like, I hate when readers say, oh, I don't like the character. It's like, do you mean like, or do you mean you don't find them interesting? And actually a character with edge is interesting, aren't they? And yeah, people and relatable are two very different things. I yes. think you have to find something you can relate to, but likable, absolutely not. No. And you almost don't want to like. I mean, it's almost a bit too boring, I think. Is that a, an unfair thing to say if, if a character is very likable? I was a bit picked off they didn't like her because I did. So I wanted to make him like her. So I had to write another book with her in it. You know. <laughs> and do they like her now is the question. They're beginning to, it's beginning to grow on them. Yeah, crack that whip a little bit more. <laughs> and I love the quote. Val McDermott has a fabulous quote about you. that If, if I had this, I would, I'd be wearing on a T-shirt and printing it on mugs and sticking it up on my wall. If you're not a fan yet, why not? She says about William Shaw. So uh, <laughs> isn't, how isn't she lovely? Isn't, isn't she, she lovely? lovely? She keeps, yeah. I, I, my book, last book, well, one, I was... I was actually had one of the narrative points of view was a badger. Oh. And, and I had a whole sort of series written from the point of view of a badger, which I think is in a first in cop fiction. Yeah. Um, and uh, so what I did is I got a whole lot of crime writers to, because this was lockdown, I was thinking, how do I launch this book? And I, I asked them, all, would they read the chapter in little segments for the badger with, with through, um, through, um, through Zoom, in fact. Yes. And the first quote was Val McDermott saying, people stink. And it was, it was, Bless her. Fantastic. She's fabulous. But what a clever idea. We're going to have a panel actually on book marketing. And I mean, that that should definitely be discussed in it. Cause what a no- and that's what lockdowns made us all do as well, isn't it? It's be that little bit more creative, I think. Um, step outside our comfort zones. Um, be on Zoom. That's my that's me getting out the comfort zone. I hate living Zoom. <laughs> but I can record this without it. So what about what about you, what you guys are reading at the moment? Do you read police procedurals mainly? Do you want to read nothing? Uh, you know, is that the last thing you want to read, given it's what you're writing? What do you what's on your, your nightstand right now? Um interestingly, so the the last two books that I've read are so The Searcher, Tana French, and The Killing Kind, but Jane Casey. So I guess you know, both written a procedural series mm-hmm. and then the the well, actually Tana French, it wasn't her first standalone. Um, but both of those writers, I was such a huge fan of their series. Yeah. So it was interesting to then yeah. kind of read the standalone and, and yeah. you know, sort of see. Um, it, it's just different. It's 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 interesting because you're just so used to those previous characters. Not so much with Tana French because she writes from different perspectives each time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, absolutely, both of them phenomenal. I think... The Killing Kind's phenomenal. The Searcher, I really enjoyed it. I think yeah. it's probably not everybody's cup of tea. Right. Um, it's it's kind of been pitched as her Irish Western, I think. Oh, um, And my my whole background, my I'm from an Irish background, so I think yeah. there's a lot of it that I really related to. And right. um, you know, there's there's long scenes of sort of 
old Irish men sat in pubs kind of you know having banter which I immediately was like right I can hear these people straight away I think it's um but I mean she's huge well certainly in America she's huge and I think doing phenomenally well yes Um, so so yeah I'm saying it may be an acquired taste but the US is proving me wrong in that yeah and also it's you know it obviously has a particular feel for you personally as well you know like you were saying and it's I think to be able to have that connection with the book is is really special you know and does sort of sing to you is 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 really great what about you William what are you what are you reading right now um right now I am reading a non-fiction book um because I'm writing a character who's a minister a cabinet minister's wife uh, and so I'm reading um, Sasha Swire's The MP's Wife, which is her time in, in uh, around the Cameron administration. And it's horrible. Is They're it? such horrible people. They're all such snarky like people about each other. So, and it's so it's it's perfect for, for grabbing characters from. Yes. You know. So uh, police, no, not police procedurals. I'm going to keep um, bring myself back. By the end of this show, we're jolly well going to change the <laughs> change the term. If I should make a note for myself to what I'm actually on my on my list of questions here. Culture changes um, here. What is it about cop books? We can't really call them cop books actually either, can we? Cop um cop novels, cop cop thrillers. That would work, wouldn't it? Cop thriller. There we go. I'm gonna put that down. And we will each write to every single publisher and get them to change <laughs> change the thing. Uh, what is it about cop thrillers that readers love so much, do you think? Because I mean they do love it. It's one of the most popular yeah. subgenres, isn't it, in, in crime fiction? Yeah. What's the allure? I think, I mean, well, I, I think about what I initially loved. It's that classic thing. People love puzzles, don't they? Yeah. And I think when you're writing cop thrillers, <laughs> well, there's almost kind of this unwritten contract with the reader mm. that, um, and I'm sure there are a few exceptions from this, where you're saying, I have, you know, thrown you the breadcrumbs, you can yeah. solve this before yes. the reveal at the end. You, you, And so people love following that and love trying, yeah. to, you know, they get swept along in the story, but yes. they love trying to work it out before you give them the answer. Definitely. Although the specific element of the police side of it, because I guess in some ways that's true of mysteries, isn't it? Like the kind of the lock room mystery and, and all those. Is it there's something else though isn't there about the specifics of you know sneaking a peek into the instant room I think that do you think people yeah and uh, you know I think we were laughing at the sort of the procedural words and yeah. definitely do need a better word for that but I I think I actually think in the past certainly the past two or three years that people are starting to get a bit more interested in that and whether mm. that's kind of the true crime armchair detective side of things mm. or you know you've just got stuff on telly as well like 24 hours in police custody yes. and all those kind of things mm. I think people are getting more interested in the kind of the nuts and bolts the actual procedure investigation. yeah yeah but, you know as, as William alluded to it's how you balance it you can't yes. you know like you don't you want it to feel authentic Yes. But you don't necessarily need to know. You know, I, I mm. love things like 24 hours and police has to keep yeah. thing, but they're dry as hell. Yes. And sometimes yes. I think, God, I wouldn't want to be sat next to you at a dinner party. <laughs> you do an incredibly interesting job. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of, you know, really sort of trying to balance how you show, how you keep realism to a degree, but ultimately, yes. you know, what we're writing is it should be entertainment and I guess that's where the backstory comes in as well I mean think about your character for a second particularly as well you know very rich backstory and sort of the the humor that comes into your character and you know your 
your character's well. And it's it's also that, isn't it? That's the element. It's kind of, I guess, you're guessing you're getting to know about the investigations, as you were saying, the nuts and bolts, but also the characters behind the investigation. So you're almost lifting two different curtains, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. What do you think, William? What's what's the appeal for reading? I think there's something else goes on in in police procedurals that's quite interesting. It doesn't happen to have having all of them, but you know, the thing is in the kind of there's there's in psychological um thrillers you're looking at quite an internal closed world you're looking at mm. relationships between a lot of families and, and you know very often it's you know psychological is kind of slightly the wrong word but it is the right word in that it's mm. the it's the different power relationships between all these people and who's hiding what and things like that mm. police procedurals you're in a bigger world because you've involved the police force and you're actually in the social world yes. and i think that's that 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 one classic thing about um you know that uh, you can say about them to a certain extent they're also you're investigating a crime but you're also investigating something bigger at the same time whether it's the way police officers treat each other or something about mm. the society or something about the position of of uh, a type of people within that and so I think, you know, detective, uh, what's he called? What are we call cop uh, thrillers, investigate, the cops investigate society or your, as well as the, the crime. And I think that's, that's, that's one of the threads that go through that you look at, you know, that they've got a different world and a different sort of perspective. So the domestic stuff can be quite close focus on people, yes. things like that. Obviously, it can in cop stuff as well. Mm. But actually, what you're looking at is the whole media and the time it happens. That's why research becomes quite important in yes. a lot of um, detective fiction, because you want to get that media right, even if the media yes. is, um, Dungeness and you want to get that bit right but you're putting people into a real bigger world yes and that there's a very different focus on that I think I think that's fascinating and that makes a lot of sense difference of camera angles talking about research and that was going to be one of my questions you've nicely segued onto for me so thank you um obviously you know the realism is, is important and actually we'll, we'll talk a bit about realism as well separately in a minute because I want to talk to you about that um slightly differently but we've obviously got to ground them in like a realist, as you're saying, a realistic portrayal of police work. Cause as you're saying has as well, that's one of the things people are interested in is how does this literally work? Um, and we've got Peter James very famously driving around in the back of the police car, which I think is a brilliant image. Um, and, you know, shows like, as you were saying, 24 hours in police custody and that kind of thing. What, what do you guys do? Cause in a way for me, that's always been the thing I'd be nervous about stepping into the cop thriller world. It's like, well, gosh, how, how would you do it? How do you get it right? I just say I live in Brighton and this where, where that's Peter James's territory. There's a police car with a large Peter James written on the side. No. And that's his police car. And can you imagine if in a really serious incident and Pete, the Peter James police car. Oh my goodness. The piss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant, isn't it? Once as a police car. Um you know, he's because he's wow. he's obviously does a lot of he does a lot of research with local police. I mean, that's very cool, but there's a real comedy value as well, isn't there? No, send me a proper car. Yes. Or the selfie beside the police car. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> so you don't do this. You don't ride in um in Peter's car, do you? Or we'll sponsor your own. I haven't, I haven't do it. and actually weirdly enough, police police I think are quite easy in a weird way to research because coppers are so good at talking to you about stuff. Do you find yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. I mean and that's good. I, but it's all the other bits that I think, because you're, as Kaz was saying, you're actually, you're actually cheating in the, in the cops world. You're not giving the true cops world at all. Mm. You know, any murder investigation has about 50 people in it and you run out of character names at 22, yeah. you know, and um, so you're creating a, a, a really fictionalized world, generally of yeah. a very fictionalized type of murder. So it's the rest of the details. I think you've got to get right. Whether it's you know, and so I mean, how like, how do you do that? Because I mean, I know obviously you have things like you know, one has police access to police advisors, which is great, but they can only advise you of what you've already written. But like to know, I don't know. It's like it's like you're saying it's so big. Where where do you start? I mean, even even the names of forms or the names of departments and what people call each other. I remember I wrote um, 
my old series sort of focused a little bit on on Scotland Yard just so sort of tangentially and I was thrilled because um I, I heard that Scotland Yard is colloquially referred to as the yard and for me this is like great I just threw in the yard every two minutes in this human way. But it was that detail and like how how you get that detail, you know, can only, I guess, come through your research. But how how do you get to that point where you you know those little little bits, those gems? I'm I'm generally fantastically ignorant and, and get laughed at a lot by people who then read it when you know during that research phase my mm-hmm. first book I got and I got the deal for it and it was a handsome deal and I was really proud of it I was thinking oh great I'm really doing well I better just check my facts before I go and it was set in 1968 and in in D division in uh, Malrobone police and I found two women who had served there and I wanted to check the details of my woman character there and I got them and I sort of met them for tea at Victoria but one of them at least for tea at Victoria station and I said this is the plot I've got this great really dynamic 22-year-old young copper, and she drives the car, and the other guy, and they, she said, stop there. Um, women weren't allowed to drive police cars in 1968. Uh, and, I'd, you know, that was my manuscript already submitted uh, at the time. I thought, oh, no, I've got to... <laughs> uh, so that was com- rapid rewriting about it. But, of course, yes. she still drove the car, but it actually was better because she wasn't allowed to drive the car. Yes, yes. Actually, it is more interesting, isn't it? And you can almost play on that, I guess. But isn't it... So you get... So do you both then get to, um, police advisors or, or whatever to read to read through the manuscript, or do you sit down with them at the planning stage? I mean, what do you what do you do? I mine is like on a daily basis so it was it it was weird it's actually just my hairdresser's husband is a police officer wow I started off just saying um oh do you mind if I check a few things and now you know it's probably 10 things a day and he's wonderful and he's still a serving police officer but he's I really lucked out with him because he he's brilliant he's a mine of information and you know I do check the sort of the dull facts with him Mm. but his focus is he's now that we're used to working with each other and he loves the series he's very much what do you need to happen and amazing amazing and you know I think in three books there's maybe one thing per book where he's just sort of gone absolutely not you know that made me want to throw the book across the room yeah um most of the time it's you know I always laugh I'll sort of say oh I know this can't happen that quickly and his answer is oh it can if, if you you know if you've got deep enough pockets you know yeah. things can be t- so yeah it's, right I just need to get in that they've spent a lot of money doing yes that. yeah you just have to have those plausibility things yeah. yeah but isn't that fantastic to have it at the collaborative stage like that I mean that yeah. just must be amazing almost just yeah. brainstorming the ideas Oh, it's brilliant. I was talking to, um, have you guys come across uh, Graham Bartlett? Who's, um, yeah, he's the one who does my books, actually. Oh, is it? So I'm getting him yeah. on soon, I hope, as well. And we'll, we'll be yeah. having a chat with him on, on a forensics panel, I think. Um, but, I mean, he's brilliant, isn't he? And I know that he sort of, he does consult. He's for, great because he's a storyteller yeah. as well. And yeah. he also understands, because he's been through every rank. He started as a constable and he went up to commander in, in um, Brighton. He kind of, yeah. he's got a really good, the only thing is that it all changes so quickly. And you ask him some questions, he says, well, I don't know that anymore because I was there uh, eight, you know, yeah. seven, eight years ago you know and it changes so bloody quickly yeah. um but you know he's always been really useful oh william don't don't do that don't have a gun siege they're really boring you know and you can't no, be really exciting we've got guns he says no no they're not they're really really boring make it knives okay we'll use knives you know <laughs> and actually, because he understands what a story is you know yeah yes. and that's yeah no that's really that's really interesting how how useful and how do you how do people i mean how did you find graham i mean i i met him at a um I think it was a Killer Women Festival a few years ago. He was he was talking at that. But I mean, how how does one go? I mean, unless you're having your hair cut by somebody yeah. who has a very useful husband. I wonder how, you know, for, for our listeners, how people would go about finding 
people to help them. I think it's ask your friends. I mean, a friend of a friend or a friend will be a copper or involved in that sort of thing. And it is just yeah. like, I think there's that thing when you're starting researching, think nobody's going to take this seriously. We're just, mm-hmm. we're just doing stories. You do a proper job. Why would you talk to us? Yes. But 99% of the time, people are all incredibly generous. And I just think it's mm-hmm. such fun to talk to these people, isn't it, Kaz? Yes, you know, you learn so much for them and they're just so generous with it. And it's like, wow, you do a proper job. And we just sit at home making up rubbish. Making up well, not rubbish, actually. Fine <laughs> prose. Absolutely. <laughs> no, it's brilliant. It's no, it's amazing. And and you know, like we were saying as well, those realistic details. I mean, they are the gems in the book. I and mean, obviously the story is what it all hangs on, but just having those little little key details just just set it alight, don't they? I think. So I completely. Sorry. You mentioned about sort of getting the 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 insight into the incident room as well. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a lot of my questions are more about that. And okay you know the guy that I work with from the beginning and this is what I wanted to do with the team anyway but he was just a bit like we essentially yes we do an unusual job but you know we all bicker over who made tea and yeah con and it's like you want to show them as real people who are doing an unusual job yes not it's not always high stakes tension um and that will sort of round out the characters I think absolutely and I guess as well, you know, picking that up and then combining that with what William was saying as well about the bigger picture side. Like I'm watching, um, have you guys started Deceit yet, which is on Channel 4? Starting it tonight. Very, yeah. It's very, very interesting. Well, I've just, I, I didn't even finish the first episode. It got too late for me. <laughs> um, but there's a, that, and this isn't a spoiler, but there's a really interesting scene and it's it's just sparks, it focuses in on the sort of sexism at the time and um, the way the female officer isn't um, given credit for something that the male officer is. And actually she, what she did was, uh, you know, a lot harder and I think that's it's but it was done it was done so well it was just a slight nod to it just slight brushstroke and it was it was just there and I think yeah that picks up William's point as well doesn't it about um tapping into society and, and commenting on it um talking about I guess realism as well was, uh, my other question was the flip side of realism so we need to we need to be realistic when we're portraying the incident room and the detail of the case but what about cop thrillers he took a pause I remembered cop thrillers um that are set in unrealistic worlds I'm thinking of for example Caroline Green who's written Sleep Sight and if either of you've read that recently with the supernatural setting but still very much a procedural I can't get away from the word procedural element um what, what do you think of that does that does that work is that something we can play with is it um something we can do I think the rules are just ever changed. Well, there are no rules, really, are there? I mean, I abs- yeah, I absolutely loved that series because mm. it felt fresh. It's, yes. you know, it's it's difficult to make the pol- oh, we're not saying police procedural. That <laughs> there are so many wonderful novels out there, um, mm. but you know, they 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 can feel a little bit samey in terms of plot. Yes, but there's only yes. so many ways to yes. Go. Yes. There are only, you know, a handful of reasons when it boils down why people kill. Yes. Yes. You know, greed, money, sex, whatever. Yeah. Um, So actually anything that puts a fresh stamp on the genre, I think is wonderful. And what I loved with Caroline's is, yeah, I mean, this is completely, I don't know we'll be giving away if we sort of talk about what the real difference is, but um, it's something completely different um, and something completely otherworldly. But at the same time, the characters did feel, it just feels very real. Yes. A procedural side to it. Yes. Um, But yeah, with a completely fresh take on it. Yeah. 
Now I really but, enjoyed it. So have you read it, William? The, no, I haven't. But the biggest impediment to all this is is um is the publishers themselves who are terrified of yeah. changing of le- of letting forms. They're just really really terrified. I mean, it's such a risk game for them publishing anything. Yes, they are really scared about people changing the form but of course the moment somebody successfully changes the form then they want 10 of them you know yes. when Turton's book came out suddenly everybody's got to be like Stu Turton you know it's like uh you know but you know and TV can do stuff I'm trying to think of anything like you know like I don't know Radlin Hopkirk deceased there you go that's a police that's a cop thriller isn't it you know yes, yes. but you know there's lots of formats that you can um I guess do, the but publishers are really yeah just so anxious about not 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 doing something that might bomb and that's that's interesting though isn't it the difference between tv and, and and books and i wonder is it to do with bookshops themselves and how we they sort of you know you find books in a bookshop you have categories don't you is it is it to do with that or something else that's going on no he's shaking his head <laughs> I, I don't think it's to do with bookshops it's to do with no. the supermarkets actually oh. because we only really thrive if we get into the supermarkets the supermarkets are the big choke in it because they accept oh. very few things and they accept things that look exactly like what they want them to look like uh, and that's that they've become a, I mean, you know, bless them. Yes, I love them when they put my books on the shelves, but you know, actually, yeah. they're an incredible break. And, and that's why it's so different in Britain compared to other countries and why we're so restricted in my, in my sort of point of view. I think, you know, bookshops themselves would take far wider genres than, than um, the supermarkets. That's interesting. Is it the idea of people need to know what they're getting into? It's almost like a cover, isn't it? You sort of look yeah, at the cover. They, nobody in the supermarket actually reads the book when they stock it, do they? They sell entire, they, you know, and they, they almost make a point of. A pride of that that they sell entirely off the cover and title um, really you see i don't know about this that's very interesting so it's it's well i mean i've never heard anybody from a supermarket say that directly but you can tell mm. pretty much from the sort of meetings when your books get included or not is is that's what they want and, and that's why there's so much emphasis on this really interesting but you know we, I, british cover designers are brilliant but they're offer, op, operating within this tiny little um set of parameters aren't they yes and the cues yeah. well i think that people who you know that supermarket book buyers not the buyers I mean the the readers yeah Yeah. are you know they're just sort of walking past they look up that looks all right fling it in and maybe RA and I'm not saying this is the case but I think maybe are maybe a three to four books a year type reader or I'm going Mm -hmm. on holiday fling something in the the trolley so it just has to jump out at them and they have to know exactly what it is and that they're going you know I've got going on my precious holiday mm. I've got to know that I'm going to like this mm. um, so it, it's different yeah it's so different to going into a Waterstones or an independent and sort of mm. really browsing and seeing what takes your fancy it's just got to be this is this is a police procedural or this is you know a mm. woman stand a silhouette of a woman that's a psych thriller you need to know, yeah, the cues. I'm running a bookshop at the moment, weirdly enough. Yes. Just as a pop-up oh, tell for six us months. about this. You know what? I really wanted to ask you. Tell us, tell the listeners. Oh, it's about a, it's it. a it's thing a just like I kind, of fa- I kind of fantasized it during um, the first lockdown, just thinking, what if you just had an empty shop and you didn't have to pay for the shop and you filled it full of writers and you said to the writers, if, if I'm going to sell your books, what are you going to do for the shop? And so I'm working with a charity who work with underrepresented writers. So getting these writers to um, mentor the underrepresented writers but on the point of books it's just fascinating because you actually get to sit there thinking what books are selling and how and why and god there's no reason at all do you know i mean people people walk will walk out with one bit of literary fiction one bloodthirsty crime and a book of poetry and they think nothing and that's how we read do you know what i mean so uh, is it how you read because it's not how i read i'm so boring i have my things i like well maybe so but you see you know even then that one buyer will do that the other buyer and you know like the weirdest books have sold really well there's one book because one of the authors is a guy um 
called uh, Mick Jackson. And like 22 years ago, I think he was on his book, uh, Longlisted for this book. Mm-hmm. So we're stocking it because he's one of the authors. Sold out twice from that book. And, you know, it wouldn't even get into a bookshop these days because it's a 22-year-old book. So book buyers and what they're presented as is completely different you know what i mean they we, you, there's there's reasons why books crop up in bookshops but actually what readers would pick pick off a shelf if they're given a free chance it, it's something completely different yeah i was i was having a conversation with a friend actually who's completely outside the publishing industry she's a huge reader about sort of debut novels and the big kind of fanfare over debut mm-hmm. novels and she was just baffled she's like but if it's a debut i might not like it i'd rather go back to my series or you know that 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 author that's on their ninth book and I liked all the others she's utterly baffled by isn't that interesting and yet publishers with their emphasis on the shiny new debut it's almost they're taking the opposite view isn't it yeah, yeah, because yeah. you know, for those if those of you ha- hadn't had a chance, you know, a debut hasn't sold twenty thousand bo- books at the maximum. A debut might sell five million, yeah. and it's mm. that possibility that really excites them. Even if the math says no, they're not going to sell five million. They haven't got track at that point, and that gets them really excited. Yes, because of course, then you haven't got somebody saying no, we won't take it because the last one hasn't sold. Yeah, no, absolutely, that's that's really interesting. So bringing it back to cop thrillers, um, <laughs> I have to remember by the way when we title this podcast what, what we're actually calling it. Um, the New York Times wrote something quite interesting, and actually this this ties in with what we're saying about what people expect to see. And they came up with a formula about some things you needed to have in a police procedure. So I'm going to tell you some of these and tell me what you think, and be very free to say that you think it's total rubbish as well, because maybe maybe that's the case too. So they said you had to have um, a troubled detective with a crumbling marriage. Um, if you had a female lead, they said it had, you had to have a ponytail. Um, a male had to wear a jacket and a tie, and uh, had to uh, refer to a depressing locale. And after I stopped reading, because <laughs> it got cut in. Well, what do you think? I mean, is that when was that written? I, know, I, I should have been better prepared. I should have had it all printed out and referred to the difference. I'm not sure, but it, it does feel very old, doesn't it? It's kind of like yeah. an old way of doing things. Whereas now, I think we are being a bit, maybe a bit braver. Um, I get a bit annoyed when everybody says, "Oh, here's another detective with a with, who's troubled." You troubled. Uh, uh, you know, isn't that an int- what we call an interesting character? Do you know what I mean? I think yeah. every, you know, the, a flawed detective is kind of standard. Of course, they're flawed. If they were Anyone perfect, should be flawed, it'd be really right? tedious. Yeah. 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 So maybe, it's apart the from that, maybe it's the word that is being cho- chosen to uh, to describe our characters as problems rather than the characters themselves. <laughs> maybe that's what it's about. Don't call the characters troubled. <laughs> um, it was a phase as well, wasn't it, where all the female characters had to be a bit kick-ass. And that was yeah. a bit tedious. Yeah. 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 Yes, it was almost yeah. that uh, reaction against, wasn't it, the male leads? So therefore, the females had to be more than male, almost. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so bored of detectives with drink problems as well. I mean, that's just done and done and done. Um, but yeah. no. So that's that's good. So let's talk as well about. Um, this is something we sort of we we raised sort of tangentially at the beginning, but let's let's explore it for a minute because I think this is quite fun. This was um I again for listeners before we started the show I wrote to um I wrote to William and, and Kaz and I said oh any any questions you've got that you think we should be bringing up and Kaz came up with a brilliant one and she said you know if you look at the rise of true crime how we're all armchair detectives now and how does that impact on uh what we're writing and how we write it I guess what do you think <laughs> I think that's really true it does make it quite scary isn't it because they know so much yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, tele- television still gets away with complete howlers all the time, but I think people read books in a slightly more cautious, careful way, don't mm. they? And therefore, they will notice when you get things horribly wrong. I mean, it's nothing in a detective series to have the detective 
be investigating somebody or other who's, you know, his wife's murder. And you kind of think, well, that, that probably wouldn't happen. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, you can't do you can't get away with that kind of stuff with what mm. we do, can you? No. Yeah. It's also interesting that there has been in the past year or two, you know, quite a lot of true crime fiction published. Yeah. That's that I'm probably not using the right term. Yeah. But, I mean, we we're talking about Catherine Ryan Howard before, yes. but Catherine Man is yes. classic example. Joseph Knox, true crime. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there's definitely, but again, that might sort of link into we mentioned publishers kind of just going, everyone loves true crime. Yes, let's let's get it all that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but it's, it's definitely making readers more shrewd for sure because mm. they, they and so you know it makes our job more interesting. Then you have to lead them a bit more of a merry dance. Yes, so exactly. Because that's what you're doing, isn't it? You're taking their expectations and you're not fulfilling them. You know, yeah. there's some way in which you're not. If you fulfil them completely, then they're going to be really bored. People don't want what they ask for. They want something else. Do you yes. know what I mean? The book, and it's like it's that. That's almost that the contract, isn't it? You will yeah. surprise me. Yeah. Um, yeah, but also that annoys me as well. It's like how we all have to come. I mean, you have to have your killer twist now, don't you? And how every book is described as you won't see this twist coming. <laughs> I probably yeah. will because now you've told me there's one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know in the the, the cop thriller um, whether that is as important but then I suppose it depends even what twist means really I mean we are yeah we're setting up a number of suspects and hopefully if we've done our job correctly the reveal should be the twist because it's not necessarily the one that you're expecting yeah Um, but I I mean I think in 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 cop thrillers very often it's not that sort of element it's the journey isn't it and therefore you don't need the big twist I mean like Mm. I don't think I've I mean I've actually written a a thriller without the word cop in it for my next book as a standalone and there is a twist in the middle of that I was thinking wow that's how they work oh okay (laughs) but you're right they don't always need and I think sometimes telling you that there's a twist spoils it I remember you know thinking about Sixth Sense I mean wasn't the beauty of that movie that you didn't know there was a twist coming but now if someone were to tell you be looking out for it the entire way through it and Maybe you get it, maybe you wouldn't, but that almost would spoil your enjoyment, I think. Um, yeah. I, I mean, a twist is fun, isn't it, when it comes yeah. around? I was reading a book, um, The Calm by Simon Mir, and there's a twist at the end of that. And it's kind of like everybody who's read it, I know, says, I wasn't expecting a twist. And it's so brilliant because yes. I did, it look, didn't look like that kind of genre of book. And then something right at the end, the last couple of pages, and you think, yes. oh, everything I thought is different. And that's lovely. But that's a satisfying twist, isn't it? But so often you read these books and the twists are just tacked on for the sake of it. And that I find, yeah, really frustrating. Um, Of course, now you read the book, you'll expect a twist because I've told you there is one. Damn. (laughs) I will rage against the the twist in the sense of that people expect them. But I read a novel very recently that I absolutely loved and was beautifully written. But when I, it was almost like I was looking for the extra, I was like, oh, Oh, really? even actually how it ended made perfect sense. Yes. Just quite like, oh, so, and it all got wrapped up and it was Which kind goes of- back to the contract. But, but having said that, there are other books. I read Lullaby recently by, and I'm going to say her name wrong, you know, I pretend you just know who I'm talking I about because I go to give the name completely <laughs> wrong, it be embarrassing. Um, but there isn't a twist. It's just, a, it is literally a book that's a journey. I mean, it's not a cop for it at all, but it's a journey, isn't it? About how you get from one place in your mind to another and can end up doing a terrible thing. And you know, straight away from the very beginning that yeah. kids die. So there's no great reveal. The dreads with that. I the think. dread. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, there's lots. There's a lot more. There's lots mm. more reasons to 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 turn a page than mm. to know there's a twist coming or to be. You know, I mean, like just mm. that sort of sense where you know what's going to happen and you know it's inevitable is mm. really, really compelling, isn't it? Almost the most compelling part of it is that 
yeah, the suspense. Um, and yet so often. Um, and OK, so one last question before I go to my um, my desert island question that I know you're all waiting for. Um, <laughs> um, and again, this this one is uh, courtesy of Kaz. So my best questions have come from you today, Kaz. Um, <laughs> the best answers uh, might not. <laughs> she says and if I say this wrong feel free to correct me she says you know there are so many tv shows detective type tv shows and books out there how do we writers how do writers of cop thrillers stand out from the crowd how and I guess this kind of is almost a sort of a picks up on everything we've been saying doesn't it in terms of characters and we're talking about you know different settings but what what could we do what could we do to be different but to be noticed to be picked up I don't know the answer to this now. It's such a good question, though. It is, yeah. because I think, you know, we have had so much police procedural type cop thrillers uh, mm. <clears throat> around. Do you know what I mean? And it's really, really everywhere. And I think one of the one of the things that is, is you know, stepping back a bit, like America has kind of stopped consuming them. They've had so much of it. Really? Um, I didn't know that. They've, well, they certainly bought a lot fewer titles from the UK than they used mm. to. Um, okay. And I think that's that's um, interesting. So does it does it reach an end without changing or does it evolve in something else i think it's that evolution i think we at the yeah. clue is what we're saying earlier is like you know that's a format but it's not restrictive and you can take it to all sorts of other places isn't it mm. but i've actually now i've written standalone which is a thriller just because i want to try something else yes without with no cops in it well except at the end right at the end to come and yeah. put their hands on people's shoulders um but uh yeah i mean you could argue it is the same for tv but i think it just means that character has got to be spoke because you can explore mm. character in a novel mm more than you can on TV. Um, I've naturally always written and probably read very character-based yes. crime or character-based procedurals. Um, and, you know, if somebody buys into that character, they will stay. Yes. With you. Whereas I think maybe TV is perhaps a bit more plot-driven, particularly if you, you know, if, if well, if you're thinking in terms of something, you know, like ITV or whatever, mm -hmm. where you think every 12 minutes you're going to an advert and yes. it's just a really really different experience to reading a novel mm. where you set the pace and mm. um but yeah the whole kind of Netflix and binging 12 um episodes in a row has changed things as well it's, it's, yes. it's a difficult one because you know I I till about five years ago was probably 80 percent books 20 percent you know i watch mm. tv but it wasn't whereas now i consume huge amounts of crime yeah yeah i do i love it it's a very good world for writers because there's there's so much production going on at mm. the moment that i think a lot of writers who might not be surviving from their um um advances alone are getting really nice option deals that keeps up because there's it's a, such a hungry machine tv mm. it's really you know it's been been really wonderful I think mm. for a lot of writers, just keeping that going. Yes, yeah. no, I think I think that's right. And a lot we can learn from TV, I think, as well as writers, isn't there? Um, yeah. Although it's always infuriating, isn't it, that they can just they can just put a picture of somebody or that, and you know, I just think we 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 this is such a more devious medium, ours, isn't it? Because mm. we've got to get inside people's heads in a way they don't have to try; they just do a picture, and and it's in yes, people's heads. But then the things we can do that they can't—the nuance. That you really, can absolutely. Mm. No, I think we've got real power because the reader has mm. to make up their stories. We have to make the reader make up the story. Yes. And that's very different from how TV works. Yeah. Yes. I've, yeah, you need to make them work a little bit. No, I definitely. Think, I think the big twist, and I've heard this said by TV people as well, um, novels that have been incredibly popular because of the twist, whether it be the curveball or midpoint, mm. whatever, it's harder to do that on television. I don't yeah. know the mechanics of why 
but I know that's interesting people have said it's a lot of the time it's like yeah that's great in a book but yeah that might not land so much on. and is that because of the nuance so they're like the little hints that you can drop in a book would be too obvious on the screen maybe you'd have to yeah yeah. therefore the twist becomes a lot just becomes Mm. too infuriating that's it although it worked didn't it for the behind your eyes which yeah, you know so that's obviously yeah but I mean that was that must have been that difficult to do yeah but it was the question wasn't it for all of us who enjoyed that book is how will they actually make it work on the screen um and I guess that's that sort of illustrates what you're saying as well um okay so my final final question if you guys this is my desert island not discs question so if you guys were stranded on a desert island which police fictional duo because they're often in pairs aren't they would you like to be stranded with william because you're smiling well, I, i'm going to expose how old i am because like i spent my teenage years reading my dad's greenback sort of penguin crime fictions and it was the um van der Valk books by nicholas freeling that i really really liked and they're completely out of fashion now and probably quite hard to read now but not the tv series which has always been absolute pants but the books are really quite deft and subtle but there's this guy van der Valk and his wife arlette and, and I want them, partly because they're both brilliant cooks. And I oh, think that would be quite, that's very quite nice. I mean, they were like brilliantly sort of European in an era when Britain was very un-European. And so these really brilliant European thrillers there, I just think they'd be quite entertaining. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> How about you, Kaz? I struggle with this a little bit, but I, I guess the first thing that came to mind, maybe maybe if I had a few hours, I'd change my mind. But um, <laughs> I think my my favourite novel is In the Woods by Tana French. And I think so much of that is because of the two central characters, Rob and Cassie. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because I believed in them as real people, I guess. And there is a bit of the trope of um, Rob is the, the tortured um, detective. But I loved her character. She brings a real... There's no, they, they dabble in a bit of a will they, won't they? But it's very, very light. And they just have this kind of friendship that you think if I was doing that job, that's who I'd want beside me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I thought, because that was her very first novel, I thought we were going to go back to Rob and Cassie, but she changed it into the Dublin murders and they are referenced in the second book. Right. Told from the perspective of somebody else. Yeah. Um, so I, I love that novel and I sort of miss them that they didn't then become, I didn't love what they did with the TV show. Okay. Back to the previous point, but yeah, yeah I just kind of wish that they'd become a, a, a yeah, a crime-fighting duo rather than sort of in this perfect bubble of in the woods. Yeah, well, maybe on the desert island they can. <laughs> Guys, this was brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been so lovely having you both on. Thank you very much. Thank you very it's much brilliant. For You've been listening to On the Sofa with Victoria on Crime Time FM. If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, rate and review on iTunes and join in the chat on Twitter using the hashtag On the Sofa with Victoria or drop me a line at Victoria Selman. I'd love to hear from you and hope you'll join me next time. <laughs>